Hello, everyone. This is Zifang, and I'm um, here with uh, my co-host Lily. Hello, hello. I feel like when you need a DJ name, I always feel like you need like here is DJ Lily, and then this is you know Silent Bob or something. I don't know, making things up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, today we're we're doing another episode of watching silent films, and uh, we just literally talked about how busy we are, but. I feel like for myself, every time I make time to watch this, it's very illuminating. And it's also always expanding my knowledge of not just movies, but I think it taps into all areas of life, at least for me, when it, when I watch stuff like this. I would have to agree. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's also some, it's sort of like a, a snapshot of history as well, like a snapshot of what people were thinking about at that time. And it's also fascinating that so many of the things that they're talking about or wanting to communicate in movies is essentially the same thing we're dealing with today. <laughs> so mm. as the more uh, we feel like it's in the past and these stories seems to be just there, the more relevant it is to the modern times. So I was, that always fascinated me. Uh, it was it. I was just listening to some podcasts, uh, from uh you know leonard malton he has a podcast on like a malt malt Mal malton podcast or something like that but and so he interviewed ken burns lately you, you know ken burns the documentary oh, yeah, yeah. person who did like um most recently he did uh something like vietnam war he did a bunch of stuff like jazz baseball he's just over the years he's amassed a, a huge amount of you know award winning just documentaries everywhere right mm. and he populated the the popularized the what's called ken burns effect which is like it's a still photo but you're just panning the photo and you're kind of uh putting some music to it sometimes and so that's like in all documentaries everybody started copying him after he did that you know what i mean mm. So that, that's, that's, and then I think Apple or somebody named it after him, the Ken Burns effect, but essentially what it is. Why I bring that up is because <laughs> he made a point about uh, films, because he's making these films, and about history. And all, a lot of his stuff is about history, and it's so funny how much of history, as the more you show history in his documentaries, films, the more it's relevant to modern films. It's just so uncanny, because it takes him decades sometimes to do a single topic. And then uh, when it comes to fruition, it always hits like almost just so appropriately in terms of timing, you know. Hmm. It's just like the movie we're going to watch today. Um, we have already seen. It's called Hands of Orlek. And um, we've seen the movie before this that they collaborated together. Um, Dr. Uh, Caligari, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Um, previously but it's the same director robert ween or ween or something like that and apparently his name is supposed to be pronounced van van like, that's right because it's german i think so <laughs> yeah that's right i'm terrible at pronunciation but it's the, okay uh, i listen to some german ladies say it oh, so good. Like, okay <laughs> so yeah, as long as you know it's that's either perfect. like van or van van and anyway. the uh, <laughs> main star conrad i don't know how to pronounce that that one i think they s Conrad Veidt. Veidt, right. So I didn't even know about this, but he apparently is that German officer in Casablanca. So if you've seen the movie Casablanca, yeah. it's the same guy. It's Major something something, and he's like, we're going to enforce the papers and make sure you're, you know, it's, it's, it's that guy. I was like, he almost seems familiar. Even a while ago when I watched this, I couldn't quite pinpoint who he was until I looked it up, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, he had yeah. a great career. He it said uh, he was you know one of very few actors who made it, to, you know, to continue his career into sound movies, which is really interesting to me. He's he did so much work in the silent era, and he pretty much made movies until his death in the forties. Well, Casablanca was the one before the last movie he did, and he did yeah. a heart attack or something, but. Um... But what I, it's just amazing because his technique of film acting is pretty modern. Like, if you watch this movie, uh, there are parts of it that seems a little bit... But in general, you could almost transpose so much of it into the modern era and be like, wow, this is like a movie from yesterday. 
Mm. At least that's how I saw it. <laughs> you might feel differently about it, but uh So yeah, um did you were you able to watch anything else before I get into that? Did I In the um, classic realm they call it? Nope. <laughs> Not yeah, so I, much classic, only modern. <laughs> yeah, I haven't had time to watch anything uh either in the classic realm this week it's been crazy but uh maybe in the future times so we can dig right in um and again like many of our uh, podcasts prior it's gonna be straight spoilers just because it's been around for almost 100 years so we <laughs> <You> haven't <laughs> gone around to it hopefully even if it's spoiled you can it inspires you to try to uh catch it and, and watch it because there's really truly nothing like watching it in every way and so what what was the the one thing or maybe a couple of things that jumped out at you right away after you've seen this something um, major maybe i don't know the, i guess i i pro- could be wrong um just because of the what year it was made i noticed right away that you know it listed who was in production who the actors were you know direction basically everything behind the scenes it gave a name to that person so i was i was very impressed so i was like wow <laughs> maybe they started that a couple years prior but in the previous movie we didn't see that so yes. yeah, yeah. We did a little bit. The did we? Color, uh, yeah, I don't remember. Was, in the beginning, <laughs> remember the artwork for the intertitles were pretty amazing. That that set design the because the nature of the movie was it's very art deco and very what's the now we term it German expressionistic, where everything there was a very art designed death like it was amazing, right? The sets and everything, mm. but even the titles. I think I pointed out uh, last week was was pretty well drawn. It took a long time. Looked like just to do all the the various intertitles introducing the movie i don't think it has much details with it but it was i, I think that was what 1919 or something dr caligari did i write that? and this 1920. one's 1924 yeah well the hands of orlick was uh 1924 but dr mm-hmm. caligari was 1920 uh, I wrote, yeah. yeah so i think in the first few podcasts we discussed how historically Prior to 1920s, they didn't really care much about putting titles and who did what because everybody did almost everything. There was not much of a segmentation of sort of credits. And uh, that only changed post-1920 because of the corporatization of films. So all of the stock, the company, and you know all the publicly traded, and just the big business, right? Big money. They saw this industry as a huge opportunity and then started to basically corporatize the structure. This is one of the things about the early women film, silent filmmakers, that they weren't able to make that transition because uh, like p- people like from Wall Street and the stock trades and big business were still very much sexist and they, w- they wouldn't allow women to be leaders in general. That was the kind of the culture at that time. So that's why post-1920s, you had all this more structured approach of, you know, it's directed by this, done by this, and so forth and so on. So anyways, and I, thi- I think that affected everyone, um, both America and internationally, especially uh, the German in- film industry as well. So that's why the intertitles were more uh, up there. Like if we watched... Uh, the uh, Birth of a Nation or even stuff before that, they might have a director's name or maybe the actor's name, but none of the uh, the other uh, cast and crew were on there. Like um, Body and Soul is a good one. You might have like the major people on there, but then the 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 craft services, for example, is not even listed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but nowadays, even the craft service people have to be on there. Um. So yeah, anything else that was really big that jumped out i'm not fishing for any i'm just curious what what major things jumped out right after um trying to think like major well there was the obvious you know the part of the plot is there's a big train derailment and conrad's character loses his hands so it's that scene was very i thought it was very well done very intense you know very engaging because it was so realistic as you were saying it's very how they might make it nowadays. Exactly. Which is probably would have been shocking back then. Yeah. You know, 
imagine time traveling and taking a just again because it's 2019 taking avengers endgame throwing it back mm-hmm. there like whoa <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, not that this is an endgame but it's in terms of film language and how you want to communicate uh, from one scene to the next um but also remember it's been four years since 1920 which even more advancements and uh, film evolution has occurred so right in the beginning of uh, movies, it was so significant going right from, as we were watching, from the 1900s to 1910s, all the way to, you know, mid-1910s, where the Birth of the Nation stuff came around, and all the way to 1920s, it continues to evolve. I mean, it's almost a decade between this and this uh, Hand Orlick and uh, Birth of the Nation, and for sure, they all have influenced one another. Like, they wouldn't be making this in a vacuum, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, yeah, going off of that, it was a great representation of disaster, you know, just to keep with that. I did zoom in a little bit because I, I watched it on the big screen and on my projector. Oh, nice. And then the, uh, it was basically two trains passing each other, but they cut it right before you could see the the obviousness. Yeah, before <laughs> You know what I'm hit. talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like, it's not really, you know, head-on collision as you probably you probably want, might want to do today with CG or whatever, but, but back then uh, it was so interesting that they chose an angle to elicit this uh, sort of special effect of train head-on con- con- uh, collision, but they implied that somebody changed the 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 rail sort of uh, yeah the path. rail tracks yeah. yeah so that part was so interesting just. So much implying now, you know, not even explaining in the titles. Yeah, which was very good and compelling because then it goes to the office with the, I don't know, if you don't know their exact titles, the the train men. (laughs) Yep. And, you know, all those papers just start flying out of the machine. I I wasn't, you know, you could tell that they were stressed out. I was really wondering what that meant. I don't know. I was just wondering if it just... You know, collision, 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 whatever. Yeah, it's got to be some sort of uh, I didn't really look into it, but I, mean, I guess some sort of a telegraph type communication or Morse code or something like that. Yeah, that would make sense. Or some sort of pre-telephone. I don't know when telephone came around. It's all around this very similar time frames. Uh. Yeah, so there was that part, and then, you know, just the chaos and everything else. It was kind of, continuing on with the film, too, is a little bit of a mad scientist sort of vibe. Right. Which is what we try to get with the horror. So, you know, Conrad loses his hands. He gets the hands of a murderer, and he starts going insane and believes that the hands control the body. Yep. And, you know, it just continues on from there. But probably one of my favorite parts after he's fairly healed, he's going to go back home to his wife, is the ring, the wedding band not fitting on his hand. I don't know. I just, that stuck with me. I was like, oh, (laughs) the feelings. (laughs) Oh, yes. Yes. So one of the most interesting parts is the, you know, getting, getting into the major sort of plot line. Uh, what what really jumped out at me is the fact that so many modern horror movies have really utilized the same sort of uh, storytelling technique for their own sort of uh, jump scares. So like, um, I didn't really look it up, but I think it was called The Eye. Was it a Jessica Alba movie where uh, hmm. she got somebody else's eyes, like an uh, uh, organ transplant? Oh, okay. And then, like, uh, she can now see a spiritual realm that's evil and wants to kill somebody or something like that. But, you mm-hmm. know, like, that type of horror movie is very common nowadays where, you know, a uh, main character gets in an accident of some sorts and they need to have mm-hmm. an organ transplant. But the organ that they transplant from is some evil. There's some evil attached to it somehow. Yeah. And that leads to inevitable, some sort of creepiness, freakiness, and, 
evil stuff, spirits, or or our uh, murderers' hands, like, and that all, not hundred percent, but a big chunk of it owes its debt to this movie, if you think about it, right? Because mm, I've seen that in other themes too. I yeah. I read the anime and manga every so often, and I'm thinking of one particular that you know this kid gets into a bad accident because he's being attacked by this demon girl whatever you know anyway she gets killed and he's half dead so they think they're both human so they give him her organs and then he becomes you know a devil or something (laughs) it's like really popular in japan i haven't finished the story but that's basically the same concept he gets organs transplanted into his body to save his life except now he's hindered by the the toxins from the you know the other person right essentially the the theme or motif of these works is that you know what is it that makes the soul and what defines the the human humanity piece mm-hmm. of the spirit is it just like the physical realm or what's tied to the physical realm and if you transplant that does that affect alter your nature and stuff like that that's the type of questions that movies like this one and maybe all the horror movies that since have tried to copy this theme, have been struggling with talking about. And certainly the the Japanese animation genre as a whole loves to talk about stuff like that. Yeah. And you've got that one, and the most popular one that I can think of is uh, uh, Evangelion. I forgot the guy's name. But have you heard of that one? I have heard of it, but I don't know about that it's one. I was talking about so. Tokyo Ghoul, which is more popular nowadays. But yeah. I've, I have heard of but that, that one. But that mo- those works now owe its debt to stuff like... Evangelion, which is all about the 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 human spirit and how it transcends uh, the mech, like mecha or or hmm. robotics, whether that's got a life of its own, biologically or not, and does AI evolve out of that? And there's all this complex topics beyond that. But the point is, it's all about the questioning of who defines, like how are you defined by, and that's the kind of the big part of this movie and how so many other works after this movie you know it's not Mm -hmm. i don't think it's always directly inspired by this movie but certainly like you were just bringing up so many works have been sort of talking about these themes i feel like this movie does this type of theme greatly uh, where it Mm. extrapolates like well i got this hand but oh no am i the murderer and then it goes down that rabbit hole and it's such a it's based on a book right it's it's also yeah. just like Who's books like this and works like this is so classical in the sense that mm. it's just such a very common type of story technique. But it's probably one of the first movies to bring this to life after uh, Caligari, certainly himself. And, uh, you know, certainly that movie and this movie often deals with that, the whole notion of identity and also just shadows. <laughs> yeah. Darkness and <laughs> Lots shadows, of shadows. And, and what lives in between everything and. And it's very spooky and freaky, right? And that's yeah. that's really the. But I I personally found that the the te- technique, just like Caligari, the way it was shot is incredibly incredibly beautiful. Because of just like even in the opening scenes, like you were saying, the train. But yes, beyond the train, like the way he used the background to the foreground, is just amazing throughout the movie, where he would. Uh, the lighting of the movie is even better than Caligari because I hadn't seen this movie yet because uh, oh. I don't think it was available 20 years ago. But uh, when I saw Caligari, I really fell in love with the sets and I certainly noticed the lighting. But I, you know, I felt like there were other uh, uh, German directors that were really good with it, like F.W. Berner and others, Fritz Lang. They all love the lighting, but also apparently all have very sort of amazing eyes on how to paint uh, the film cell with light and darkness. And I really love that. Um, have you heard of the term, um, may have used this before. Mise en scene? That's certainly a big part of it for sure. But the other term was um, in classical painting, when you, uh, the masters during the Renaissance era, in the 1600s, 1700s, the Enlightenment or whatever you call it. And they had a lot of uh, Italian artists and they were painting, um, not por- well, port- portraits too, certainly. Um, 
but when they're painting people they also painted how the light and the darkness and the shadows fell on the human form so they often have bodies draped with cloth like white cloth and then how the lights affect that and the term that they use is called a uh, chiaroscuro which oh is the, yeah yeah i've heard that play between light and shadow and that's what reminds me cuz that I often use that along with a lot of FW Murnau and First Lang movies because they did it. They they've mastered it's so brilliant in all of their movies. But I I I guess I hadn't really realized how broad it was apparently in that, including this guy's in, in the industry. It's like almost dime a dozen. Everybody, at least looking back now, I'm not sure everybody's doing, it, but certainly this guy was doing in 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 great extravagance in this movie. So you got like the the wife Yvonne in the beginning, uh, just getting up, and how the light and the shadow just plays with the way she was with the nightgown getting dressed, and also throughout the movie with the, the flower and the living quarters and begging the doctor to do stuff, and just you know even the the the, the, the is it the police station or cops or whatever at the end, all all throughout the movie. Anytime the light and shadow falls on her, but all, like a painting, right? But also, uh, uh, the uh, Orlac, the the main character as well. A- any of the characters, it's just astonishing. And I remember many of the shots when the characters are in their door frames. There'd be like a, a light to either left or right offset, lighting up from the back of their hair or the side, so you could see a light sort of lighting and that's a modern technique so if you watch like modern movies that's it's like everywhere it's like it's so second nature nobody even thinks about it but if you just pause a frame uh essentially the lighting's what the difference between the hollywood type polish look of a, a film versus like a, a you know what you take from your phone or your camera and just film something because if you film something there's no lighting that's why that's why it looks just like amateur <laughs> mm. you know what i mean uh, so the difference between that and the, and the Hollywood stuff is just that the the lighting is incredible. It's just the way that there's so many lights and they highlight certain aspects of how it illuminates uh, people and sets and stuff like that. And a very common technique of lighting, I don't even know what the technical name is. I'm sure there is one, but it it illuminates the person from behind. So you you see a, uh, a lit outline of their shape. In a contrast against the foreground, which is dark, so you got this lighted sort of silhouette almost of the the side, but then it's and you see details a little bit in between that and the darkness. So that's very common too. Uh, but then also just the scenes, like the shape of all the scenes, the angles. And he did it already so brilliantly with the sets and color guard, but he did so much more in this throughout the movie. Yeah, throughout. Um. Like from the chaos of the train wreck and extracting the 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 guy out of the train, which I don't know if you did this, but I was looking for his hand at the train. <laughs> I was look I was yeah. looking to see if they were showing where his hands were. Exactly. I didn't actually see them hanging out. That's, but maybe. that's the brilliant part because I don't know if they know, but it's, it's like if you're gonna title a movie called "The Hands of Orlac" and then you're gonna start showing the person poor Or Orlac you kind of fascinated by his hands, right? Like you want to see the yeah. hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I love how they hid, uh, I think for sure, intentionally, that you, you don't even see his hands, you know, if they were mangled or maybe just gone. So I yeah, love that. They, could, they did that too because, you know, you, you learn that he's a concert pianist and right. that is how they make their fortune. And really you don't see his hands at all when he's behind the piano cause, right. because of that shot. So... I'm only actually just realizing it now since we're talking about it. It's like, oh, yeah. So are they his hands? We don't know. (laughs) And I think um, that's the big sort of technical aspect because, again, all those little bits and pieces of Maison Scene, all those things uh, contributes and adds to making movies like this a classic. I think a lot of the modern movies, again, I seem so negative. Debbie Downer sometimes (laughs) all modern movies, but... It's so hard pressed to find any of them doing that. There's just so many movies that you watch in modern era. It's just like they don't really take their time to figure out the lighting, nor do they figure out time to do the 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 setup of the scene, nor tell a story within a single scene itself. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was like the norm back then. That's what made these 
makes these movies classics because they've, they've trailblazed in all those areas <clears throat> on top of uh, often great acting and all that stuff. So, and that acting's great too. Um, like when he first unwrapped, got the hand unwrapped. It's, I, it reminds me of that Caligari scene when he was waking up. Mm. That whole opening the eyes thing. And I feel like this, this, this movie sort of uh, one scene or shot that was doing that was when they unwrapped the hands. Which again is this whole title of the movie and the theme of the movie. But they took a, uh, a quite a bit of time just to show his reaction. Yeah, it was very subtle. But you know, it's it's he's taking in what has just happened. He's in shock. He can't, you know, you, you, you know, your brain isn't quite right when, you know, something like that's being revealed. So I thought it was very well done. Yeah, it's like a very modern acting technique very 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 much like what we're seeing today versus the theatricality of some of the performances back then you know what i mean yeah so that was big another um thing that jumped out at me um anything else that struck you um definitely just a lot of it's like we're also saying how everything is like it is is very modern so you know you feel you can feel what the character's feeling when he first goes to the piano after being in this accident and then you know he just can't play i'm really wondering if it's because he thinks he can't play or because i mean you know he he has new hands (laughs) you know it's obviously nowadays with modern technology and medicine you'd have to fix all the nerves and it you know he wouldn't be able to play but it's that's just a great scene that you can feel his despair and you know Yvonne being behind him your her pain towards you know her husband her lover it's it, it that part's one of my favorite standout scenes and then eventually going back to that scene where he's hiding the knife in the piano it's you know it's all Ah, it's all... Ugh, I can't put words to it. Well, like I said, everything is all adding to the fact that this is a great movie. You know, mm. it, all, all those small bits and pieces that you're mentioning and uh, sometimes the ineffable nature of the movies is the best part. <laughs> I can't even describe what it is, but you know that when you watch it, you just feel like this is an amazing piece of yeah. work. And after... At least for me, sometimes you watch these movies multiple times, you realize how deep they go and uh, and the sort of the types of questions and story ideas that they were trying to raise in these movies and have discussions for, for people to think about were pretty incredible, were pretty amazing, you know? And uh, it's a little bit... It's not exactly Faustian. It's not really making a deal with the devil, but it's it feels a little bit like that. It feels like it's, you know, what has this, what has he gotten himself into with his hands, you know? Mm. So, um, another thing that I noticed throughout the movie is almost everything, almost all the characters had something to do with their hands, if that makes sense. Yeah. So like the surgeon was has to use his hands to reattach the hand, and uh, the flowers were arranged by the wife with her hands. Uh, lots of discussions about husband and wife using hands to sort of love one another and touch each other and touch and all that stuff. Uh, certainly, his piano is very, you know, and of course, even the murder weapon was a close combat hand. It wasn't just a random gun. You shoot from a distance. It's not impersonal. Even the murder weapon down to that is uh, hand to hand, and 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 how the cops eventually find everything was, you know, manual like hand. <laughs> mm. So, it, it, and fingerprints everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Actually... Like everything was tied to some sort of a manual, literally like hand based type type theme. So I thought that was interesting that even just that one aspect of the movie alone was so well thought of, right? Like, who thinks yeah. about movies like that these days, you know? <laughs> it, It's, yeah, exactly. It's That's what also makes us 
film just it's you know just comparing it to Caligari it's obviously made later in time but just direction from you know he's you can tell that the actor has grown Robert Vine has grown as a director you know he's always you can tell they're always thinking of something to make this film like I don't know it's it's hard it's exactly what I was trying to explain it's like it's everything you need is right there right yeah Except what's there is I can't talk about it because I I just explode with words. <laughs> yeah, it's like um, <laughs> Disney nowadays in their corporate structure. They often have a phrase in there called "plussing it," um, which means if you like they, when they made Avengers, they're like, "Okay, it's good now, but how do you make it even better? Like, how do you make mm-hmm. it plus something? Add something to it, some additive to it that will make it." even better than what it is so they're that's what they're always striving for i think is why the marvel stuff is pretty stellar but that's kind of the overall disney mantra and i think that's what you're getting at is that this this guy's movie is always there's it feels like there's always some aspects of the movie whether it's set design acting uh lighting direction set piece costumes uh even i feel like the music i don't know if it was written originally with it, but it's just everything about it felt like it was trying to be better than what it was at every step of the way. Mm. Yeah, I definitely agree about it. And what also, you know, makes this movie so, you know, coming from horror, I, I thought it was just a great drama, too. I didn't even think so much that it was a drama. Of course, it has its creep elements to it but it was definitely more of a drama for me because i just wanted to know what's gonna happen what's going on is he gonna kill someone did he kill someone but that's the best horror though i mean yeah if you look at the classic horrors the best horrors even in the modern times it like remember we talked about uh maybe what i don't remember if it was on podcast or not but it was recorded or not but it was like jordan peele stuff now right about get out and also us if you haven't seen it yet they're all just very character-based. There's like very little gore, right? And so that's the whole point is that it it's the drama and it's the story driving sort of the the story forward. And it's not always just about like somebody chopping somebody's limbs off or whatever. It's it's yeah. all about like the the story. The mind and psychological. That's yeah. I do, I love thrillers. So but that's, it's all freaky it's, though, right? Like, yeah. Even oh, though yeah. there's an element of like, yeah, it's you know it's psychological that he uh, uh, thinks that way, and and certainly the movie with all the freakiness was trying to externally show you how uh, psychologically disturbed that he was to inherit the hand of a murderer and how it affected him. But also on top of that, could it be that he was hallucinating for sure? <laughs> So (laughs) you don't know. And that's the beautiful part of this movie, right? You could take it so many ways. Let's see. What else? Um, Let's see. Another thing that stood out to me, I was was wondering this too, is that how much of this was painted sets? I thought there was a lot of forced perspective, especially when they were going to Orlok's senior's place. That that part was pretty interesting too. I was kind to me. It kind of just felt I don't not not so much thrown in there, but they never really talked about his father before. And then all of a sudden, oh, we need money. Let's go to your father. Right. It's just like I, that was the only part for me that besides you know still being an interesting um, additive to this film. You, you know, I don't know. There was just no indication that I had realized earlier in the film to be like oh okay (laughs) why don't you like him yeah there's certainly uh i i think these type of movies they don't they won't always explain all the context in the movie right away pre-pre it's sort of it it assumes so many things that you just dropped yourself into the story you know so i'm gonna sort of write all the background narratives and in for everybody so you have to just watch, uh, as you're watching the movie, you have to kind of feel like uh, what what the dad's sort of relationship with each of the, you know, 
their their in-laws or the the offsprings i thought that was interesting you could just read it right there you know they won't give you a big backstory they're just like oh just by their pure interaction you'll know what they are you know what i mean Mm. and that's the beautiful part of movies like this it's a shorthand rather than having multiple scenes of explaining what their relationships are just shows you (laughs) true i mean that could that can be better now that you say it like that but at the same time you know maybe it's just because you know we're in the modern era so you have to have a detailed explanation for everything when back then it's just like nope doing it like this (laughs) but even uh even now there are movies like that it's not it's it's not popular (laughs) yeah so so for example like i I think i mentioned before uh, roma is exactly like that so if you watch that it's like nobody's going to tell you what what the whole story is there's no a to b to z of what the story is it's just you you get parachuted into the story and just have to experience it and a lot of movies in the beginning certainly were like that uh very little context you could kind of parachute and drop into this middle of the story and kind of have to uh use your head kind of or your heart and try to feel your way or think your way through the story uh, what it is and the best movies do both right it, it's both entertaining but also makes you think and also makes you feel something sometimes mm-hmm. i feel like this movie does all those things and more certainly made me think a lot also like you were saying many scenes that you felt like for these characters and the acting is amazing right like the main oh, actor Conrad is a great actor yeah both the um i mean thinking back i guess i i i Watching this made me appreciate his performance in the Caligari, where he plays Cesari, mm. which I thought I, I think I highlighted too when he was waking up with his eyes. That was a quite an interesting performance for a silent film of that time. Yeah, we were talking about that because it was good for you know in, for you know context and for its time. You're like, whoa, <laughs> extra freaky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and this one even more so with the hands, like. In some ways, the whole movie rests on his acting with his hands. Right? Like, the movie's titled The Hands of the Main Character, Paul. But also, the entire theme and the entire drive and the entire uh, crux of the whole story rests on how he can show you what his struggles are with inheriting these hands. And if that fails, the whole movie fails. Right? Yeah, I agree. So the fact that he could, with the unbandaging scene, show that's like that's probably the most important part, and he certainly, uh, you know, came through with a stealth form. But they're also throughout that, like t- right straight till the end. And I think this is one of the reasons why, at least many reviewers have said, uh, that he lasted so long even after the talkies came around. That he was already performing at such a high caliber that just adding dialogue in is not a problem you know mm. so that, that part was interesting well it's i yeah because he uses his you know your body is an instrument when you're an actor so because he was i'm just agreeing with what you're saying because he was so attuned to how his body worked you know the voice is just another part of your body so no wonder he wouldn't succeed at that as well right exactly Any other themes I think uh, I haven't really gotten to? Hmm. Trying to think of. Uh, oh, let's talk about the maid. I was a little oh, yeah. weirded out. <laughs> the maid. <laughs> I was like, what? I don't know. She's like the gal pal of Yvonne, the, his wife. Right. But then it's like secret mistress. I was so confused. I was yeah. like, what are you doing? Yeah, it's, uh, is it, again, it, what, wasn't Freud German too? Uh, sure. Pretty I, th- sure, I think right? it was. <laughs> yeah, I think it was. So like it, it has one of the many themes that this movie deals with. Like that's the marks of a great movie. Is it, it tackles so many different things at the same time. You know, in addition to the complex nature of the nature versus nature. Is that nurture? Nurture versus nature aspect. On top of that, it's also dealing with the id and sort of all the Freudian psychology, you know, that was mm. of its time. It was Austrian. That's what it was. I uh, looked it up, which is very close by. <laughs> <laughs> so, so certainly 
what um, Freud's research has done in the turn of the century has a massive, massive effect, right? On oh yeah, all things uh, now, but even back then when it first came out, certainly was humongous, and uh, it, it would it would have certainly affected uh, movies. In fact, we know for a fact that back in uh, Caligari, it was certainly a big part of it because it really delved into you know psych- psychological uh storytelling and uh i i wouldn't doubt it for for one moment that's the, you know this this movie also was very similarly impacted greatly and so i think in some ways that was sort of the the take on the whole made aspects whether the hand ha- is has resorted to just ba- the base id feelings of sex and violence essentially you know what I mean? Yeah. And so that I feel like that scene was symbolic of just the most ba- base nature of what the hand represents, which is just just the like uh, the the nature of sort of just without any uh, mind to control it, it would just be the base level of what it is, and that's I think what that's what I think that 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 scene plays to, whereas other scenes talks more about like. Uh, I get was it the doctor or the, movie, the police or somebody was saying you have control over oh the doctor doctor you, Saras I think it was but his you name. know what I mean that that whole yeah. notion of like you, you know you can't just say that it's uh, your nature to do certain things and uh, give yourself over to your nature you know like it like this hand's nature is to murder well you can't just say that's it and blame that and, and start killing people allowing it the hands to kill people the reality is you have control over your hands right mm-hmm. and you make the decision and that's the crux of the movie is like is uh it, it's you know in hindsight it's a little bit farcical like you know the, that hand would actually transport the sort of be the murder <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, uh uh sort of means that by which the murder instinct uh dna is transported into the human because you know obviously they didn't know about dna yet but um but just the whole psychological struggle struggle of nurture versus nature i think that was the most fascinating aspect was you had that scene that talked about that that highlighted that just down to the base nature you just have sex and violence which is part of the it's oversimplified I'm, i'm sure with freud's uh teachings but like his his psychoanalysis stuff you know is one aspect of it just uh your your sort of nature part but then the doc doctor was like your nurture also has helped you determine that what is moral what is right like you you need to have control over your baser instincts or else it's gonna actually like you will commit those murders you know Mm. And I think that's the beautiful part at the ending, which is that he, they both, is it both of him and his wife, right? They went, they went to the try to clear the name or just to tell the truth, I guess, right? Yeah, that's what they went there for. Right, exactly. So, and that proved to be true. Like, and then we found out it was the con man who was trying to, uh, uh, was a mimic or be be the pretend to be the murder guy and with the head yeah i think how it was is that he was friends with the murderer vassar except he was the murderer and i think he uh, he murdered vassar right and or no he got no he was he put the blame on vassar who ended up being killed right which who orlock did have his hands but he was an innocent man that was so so that that's the (laughs) That's the whole sort of the reward for uh, Orlock and his wife to come clean is that, in fact, his hands weren't the murder, murderous hands. They were they were innocent hands, right? Mm. That's the whole theme. And uh, the at least t- my interpretation of the ending was that by con- giving control, by having control over your baser instincts, you win at the end because you're able to discern with just basic moral moral understandings and teachings that you can you can have control over uh the instincts that might be ten have bad tendencies right and so that's i think that's Mm -hmm. the teaching and then in fact it the whole thing was the twist i guess (laughs) or the rug being pulled under is that he didn't even have that to begin with so his entire struggle was for for not right 
Yeah. Because <laughs> it even said, um, I think they mentioned in the film, it had been a couple years since he had had these hands as well, since he got right. the surgery. Yeah, the progression of time. Just, yeah. yeah, so that was a bit jolting as well. I was like, really? <laughs> yeah. You know, you expect this all, you know, this film to be all wrapped within a certain amount of time. And then you're like, nope, six years later. Oh, okay. <laughs> yep. But also gives uh, the struggle that much more weight that he had to struggle mm-hmm. that long to come to an understanding of who he personally is, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that, that whole aspect is interesting. That The whole thing was a, at the end of the day, it's just a big psychological block that he, he shouldn't have, you know, uh, catered to. And I guess the, the assumption is that he'll resume playing piano normally. <laughs> I would hope so, yeah. But, you know, he can't even write with his own handwriting. Because of the psychological he... block, right? So. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know what, I guess so. You know, now, you know, me thinking, well, te- you know, back to what I said before. Well, technically, since his hands were reattached, you know, blah, blah, blah. All those nerve endings aren't right. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, exactly the psychological block. That That's the whole notion of referencing Freud and its impact. That's one of the common sort of analysis of this movie is the, 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 that, that certainly the directors slash writers had been impacted by all those sort of sort of uh, pioneers of psychoanalytics, you know. Mm. So, yeah, it's always a brilliantly done movie one hadn't seen. And in light of uh, this month, it's also very topical because it's it's just freaky, right? Even if if it was psychological, but that's the best horror, in my opinion. Mm. I have to agree. We're looking at, you know, so many of these great films that were done at this time it's you know it's just so hard to just pick only you know four to talk about this month <laughs> that's what i mean is that uh it it's so amazing that even by 1924 um that they're able to achieve this massive artistic success i don't know if it was a financial success but maybe i thought caligari was pretty financially but i don't remember if this was or not but either way, it's just uh, it's just astonishing. Like I have been saying all along, is that in this silent film era, that like they were basically are doing so many things that we're doing today, you know, like in terms of film technique, film language, uh, the artistry has matured so rapidly, even before uh, sound came along. <laughs> Yeah, I know. That is really amazing now that you're mentioning it, too. Because, you know, exactly for me, just I'm watching this film where you're noticing the lighting, where to me it's just a normal thing. And I I didn't even notice the lighting differences. So, you know, it's just, that's why, once again, I enjoy watching these films because we, we're picking them apart and then you just learn something new either from just the film, the director, the actors, or just the time period itself. Right, because you're used to it. Like you're, I'm used to it, you're yeah. You're now watching so much of the modern stuff, which is, you know, commonplace. You know, the way they light things, the way they do things, so with so much just what's called basic, you know, professional stuff. But it, like back then, they were just starting this out. And by 1920s, they accomplished that. In a short span of 20 years... They basically has evolved to a degree where they, they've done almost all of the film language uh, techniques that we know of today. You know? Yeah, that is amazing. It's pretty amazing. That's why I love that. And also they did it through uh, no predecessors. Like there's no prior historic precedents before them. They really just did it from scratch. <laughs> yeah, they winged it. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, it, you know, it's they all influence one another and they all evolve, I think over time. But the point, the point is, it's just, that's why I love it. They just, uh, they, they just plow through everything and figure things out. And, uh, without any, uh, sort of prior sort of teachers of these techniques to them, you know, they just continue to build upon one another. So, Anything else that you found uh, striking? 
curious to know about this book and the author. But you know, the movie was based on the novel by Maurice Renard. So just. Just basic curiosity being, you know, what the true original story was like. I'm sure it was something similar. You know, just tr- you know, figuring out what made him compelled to write the story. Like, oh, what if he lost his hands? Oh, what if it's murder? I don't know. Just kind of silly stuff like that. That's not so much film. But, you know, it seemed like uh, doing some research, Robert Wine seemed to do a lot of screen adaptations from books that was something i took away from doing my research he did all you know either whether it was a a book or a stage production he brought it to film so i thought that was pretty interesting yes uh i don't know too much about this author but i know he was a contemporary of uh hg wells which is obviously a huge you know science fiction and there's actually some ties to this because he did another movie I forgot what it's called Dr. Learn I mean not book sorry he wrote another book he dedicated to H.G. Wells it also had a very organ transplant type thing now if you know H.G. Wells he did a, a, a book called Dr. Moreau or Island Dr. Moreau or something like that you know about that sounds work, right? familiar it's about um, the, I know it's about yeah, the, a it's... doctor who would uh, uh, it's like g- genetic engineering essentially but of course Back then, they didn't know about this DNA. So that what they did was they would take a head of a lion, attach it to a body of an elephant with a leg of a leopard. I don't know. Just mixing and matching things. Ugh, some weird kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, and that's, that's the book. That's the book is this mad scientist uh, trying to create new things. So it, in, in so this, this Renard person's book was similar to that, except it would also be not just animals, which is what H.E. Wells wrote about. Uh, but also for this author, the Renard author, Maurice Renard, would write in this Dr. Learn, she, is he? I think it's he. He wrote about uh, not just between animals, but between plants and even machines. So that was interesting because that's like modern science fiction in some ways. Hmm. The science fiction is great in general. but So it's like, uh, have you seen Annihilation? I have. Yeah, oh, so it's very similar. that movie concept. gave me so much anxiety. But that's the <laughs> thing is that those movies are works owes its heritage to the hg wells and this maurice and also like these movies you know mm. and there's another one called the uh, island of lost souls that movie later on 30 40 years later and charles lawton charles lawton is in there and amazing piece of work as well based on the hg wells dr moreau type inspired by i think but anyways <laughs> so back to the the topic is that that that's what he wrote in the i think he wrote in the 1920s and he that's he was essentially just making these books just like another book he's writing <laughs> so some of which got adapted into movies like this movie so hmm. and actually now that you're saying adapting too i also doing research they've made multiple versions of hands of orlock i think they made two other versions one was 1960 and i can't remember if one came another one came before or after that version but i was like what <laughs> how can you remake yeah i don't know how could you remake this what I, this I, movie just... yeah i think it said it had two other versions oh yeah they had i um they did um what's it called the uh 1935, Peter Lor. Peter Lor is a very famous actor from a long time ago, but he's huge. And uh, 1935 called Mad Love, I think. And another one called The Hands of Orlock uh, in um, 19... I think that was the 1961. Yeah, it was Christopher Lee. Yeah, 1960. So... But most of which is again inspired by the book, so the Maurice Minard book. Mm. Still, I was—it was just one of those things that I was very surprised to read because I was wondering, well, how? What are you changing? How is it similar? How is it different? Well, you could check them out. <laughs> I, I could check them out. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know if um, the 1935 one is available because older movies tend to be tougher to get, but the. I feel like certainly the 1961 for sure is probably around. So they did a much better archiving, saving movies post 
What is it, 1940s? World War II. Yeah, somewhere around mm. there. Because before then, it was hit and miss a lot of the times. Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, it's one of those movies, like many of the movies we tackle now, it's just, you could, I think you could go on and on and on just because the the topics and the themes and the things it talks about in the movies is so broad that you just, again, continue to learn about things. You know, it like the movies are a gateway to learning about all sorts of knowledge. You know, like... Yeah, they really are. Yeah, like I'm not sure I know so much about, like, you know, uh, Freud's stuff. I mean, I knew of him. I don't know all the details, but... <laughs> I watching know, same. This. I took psychology in high school, and then you know, w- <laughs> nothing's really since. <laughs> yeah. So when you watch this, is like you you start unpacking some of those other things. Is like, whoa, it's very interesting what they're talking about or trying to communicate. You know. Mm. I agree. It's. I'm trying to think of you know what else I can mention. Just just talking about Conrad Veidt in general. So. Just for the listeners, um, the Joker movie just came out this weekend, and I happened to, when I was looking up information on Conrad Veidt, they were talking about how the Joker character was, um, they based him off of one, re- one of Conrad Veidt's characters from The Laughing Man, which, exactly. and then they did this side-by-side photo, and I thought that was, you know, very interesting. Uh, that's just another another movie I haven't watched personally, but you know it's you know basically they talk to the director in this article and he's like, well, yeah, go you know go watch this film if you haven't seen it. Yeah. It a lot of it was referenced off older films from possibly the twenties and thirties, and I was like, wow. Yep, it's a nineteen twenty eight movie called The Man Who Laughs. Uh, it's a silent movie. It's directed by German expressionist. Paul Linney. Again, all of these morbid, freaky stuff is always, not always, often <laughs> the German expressionists and uh, is, is, the, is the carnival, freaky, grinning like character called Gwyn- Gwynplaine or Gwynplaine. Or yeah, some, some strange name. So yeah, it's uh, it, this character inspired the DC Comics, the Joker. So when you read the original comics, it was inspired by this actual character, which is based on a Victor Hugo novel, the same name, The Man Last. But when they made a movie of this, Conrad is the, the actor that played him. And so his freaky yeah. smile, which is on YouTube, you can just look at a clip of it. It is freaky, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, just looking at this. I'm, I pulled up the article, too. It's it's amazing, just the similarities between the smile and ev- just everything. It is it is Conrad. It's yeah. it's it's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's a, a stellar uh, actor. He's one of the greats uh, of that era of time. I don't think I've seen everything of his. But, but looking back, I'm certainly probably has have seen bits and pieces and just didn't recognize him you know he's almost unrecognizable sometimes from one role to another it's like a chameleon yeah that's a good way to put it but yeah i mean he inspired the comic book which of course in later years inspired all of the subsequent joker character actors who actors who base their characters on the comic book which I don't know if they researched it. They would have known that it was inspired by this actor. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking that myself. Way. Sometimes actors, you know, they just take it for, you know, take their salt. And, but, you know, others will, of course, do their research. But, I mean, to me, if I was going to do my research, I would just look at the comic book. I probably wouldn't look beyond that right. to be like, oh, hey, it's based on a character from a movie. Well, you go so, far back enough, though. You might yeah. know. Yeah. So that, yeah, that to me was also another, you know, who knew? <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit like, this is kind of related, but um, the uh, the Mo- the Magnificent Seven movie, which was remade recently by like uh, Denzel Washington, Chris Pratt, and a bunch of people. Hmm. But that was a takeoff of another older movie in the, I forgot when, 50s, 60s, 70s. I'm not actually very familiar with movies from the 40s through the 70s, maybe 80s. That's my blind spot for movies. I think I focus so much on silent movies that some of those era in between, just 
not as familiar except for the big big ones you know like lawrence arabia but anyways um, right. what was i saying oh so magnificent seven uh then is a remake of a takeoff of seven samurai which is the akira kurosawa the japanese director's movie <laughs> which is funny because if you go back even far enough uh even akira kurosawa himself was inspired by early john four silent films westerns so it's so hilarious that this this Western movie was inspired by this Japanese samurai movie, which was inspired by the Western to start with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is really funny. It was tracing through the DNA of stuff. And just the same thing with this Joker. And I'm glad you brought that because I was thinking about it. I, I forgot about it until you just mentioned it. Isn't it interesting that so many of the themes in that movie is similar to this movie? Just the freaky um, nature of the person and freaky nature of just the themes of, I don't know. Have you seen the movie yet? No, I haven't yeah. seen a movie in so long. I, I'm sorry. But, yeah. It, I haven't seen it, but I heard so many from so, a lot of my friends that have seen it. And, and Everyone, yeah. Everyone keeps saying, oh, it's great, or, oh, it's awful. And she's like, ugh, whatever. Well, it depends <laughs> on how, what you're looking for. I think mm-hmm. if you're looking for a performance, you'll get it because Joaquin Phoenix is amazing. Uh, but if you're looking for just an amazing like story, I think out of it, you, you might be hard pressed to find that because the Joker doesn't have an origin story in the comic books. And if you know that, hmm. like in, if you read all the comics, the the reason why it's so successful this is totally off topic now, but <laughs> the reason mm-hmm. why he's so successful is because he's a, a, a villain without a history. And that's why Heath Ledger's performance was great because when he was doing his Batman or sorry, the uh, Joker, he would tell you different stories. But the point is, you don't know what his backstory is. But that's why he's so dangerous. Right? The Joker. Mm. And so, in this iteration, they're going to tell you his story. Which you don't want to do. Because when you tell this story, it makes him less threatening. He's just this poor, screw, you know, screwed up soul. Who was yeah, painful. that illusion is lost. Exactly. So getting back to the tying into the movie that we just saw there is some relationship to it because it has to do with just the way that the person is lost right so like this character parlock he's he's so sort of tied his identity to this his hands that when it's taken away and especially by this murderous hand like he's he's off kiltered he's kind of a lost soul and he's gone off the deep end in some ways, like this Joker character has also just gone off the deep end. You know what I mean? Mm. I don't know. There's some sort of thematic ties to it. I was thinking about it the other day. So. Hmm. Well, I'm glad I brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> right. So was there any con- concluding thoughts about this? Uh, I feel like a classic, another classic one for sure. I'm glad that, you know, the mystery was solved at the end. I guess that's a nice way to put it. They caught the bad guy. You found out the the our hero, quote unquote, is a good person. It was just, you know, it kind of, it wasn't exactly the ending that you were expecting, but I think everyone was happy with it. Right, <laughs> I don't know. Right. I mean, I was just like, oh, okay, well, that's good to know. He's not a murderer. Yeah. But those are, that's my two cents. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I mean, I pretty much shared all my thoughts as well. It's just, it's, it's such a massive undertaking to just catalog all the different themes, all of the different topics, uh, that movies like this tackle. And that's what makes them great because it isn't just about one simple story or what they often call these very derogative, derogatory terms called a melodrama, <laughs> but I mean, there are elements of that in a lot of silent films. But in general, it's it's just so many of the silent films also tackle very complex topics. I mean, so far, yeah. we've seen so many, right? It's just mm-hmm. every and every one of we've seen just broadens your broadens your idea or scope of what silent movies can be or ought to be, at least for me, you know. Mm-hmm. All right, well, um, yeah, I mean... We need to have a rating. <laughs> no, I don't like rating systems. But it's a pretty good movie. It's a classic. Uh, you know, I, I feel like even though 
if you're listening and you know the ending now it's still a great movie to watch because it's a uh, to me it's an experience if you can watch it especially if you are if they're replaying on a big screen and live accompaniment and stuff like that just seeing it in a darkened theater with a lot of light and shadow and just especially in this movie in the beginning with there was a spotlight like they shown the spotlight at the camera lens like that's brilliant because later on in uh i think rashomon by again kurosawa he the the he pointed the camera directly through sun the sun was shining directly into the camera i was almost unheard of back then except for this movie it's not the sun but they shown the light direct into the camera which for cameras is really a big no-no because it just overwhelms the entire you know frame and lens and with bright light but it's just so brilliant literally the way they did it so i don't know it just the way the light and shadow plays in this movie it's just so it's just uh it's just a joy to watch i think you could just watch that all day just the way the te- technique the technical aspect is pretty amazing uh, on top of the fact that they did a pretty uh good acting story on top of that and also thematically is you know kind of uh just a big psychological study on nature versus na- nurture, which is, I, I think that ultimately the theme I wanted to tie to Joker, by the way, is that that's a lot of what that movie is about is it is your impact from the nature of who you are or the nurture of your environment that's impacting, transforming who you are as a person. That's more the point I was trying to get at. <laughs> hmm. uh, okay. So um, we're going to wrap up this week. Uh, we'll be back more uh, for next week. And again, uh, thank you very much, Lily. And uh, thank you, audiences, for listening and tuning in. Yes, and, thank you. And uh, if you're able to, please leave a uh, feedback to the uh, Apple Podcast platforms or SoundCloud, um, Google pla- uh, Podcast platforms, whatever. However you find us, the best way is to leave a comment there and uh, addition to some ratings so that people can find us. And you can find our stuff at uh, Watching Silent Films dot wordpress.com that's watching silent films plural films dot uh wordpress.com and uh thank you once again and we'll see you again in another week